Let us pray. Praise to you, creator of the universe. You have given us life, sustained us, and enabled us to reach this day. Amen. Good morning, and uh, great to see you all again, and to hear this wonderful choir, and to see some faces I recognize, and I'm glad to remember my name. <laughs> and a happy Father's Day. Uh, blessings and love to our fathers, and blessing and love and tri tribute to you fathers out there. So two little quips for you honoring you. So Family Circus is my absolute favorite uh, cartoon over the years. It's all about little kids and their parents. And here was one little boy outside at night with his father, and the little boy looks up at his father and said, Daddy, do lightning bugs have to change their batteries? <laughs> love it. And this one even better. Dad is shaving, looking in the mirror, and a little girl comes up behind him, his daughter, and says, Daddy, did Jeffy tell you what we did with your toothbrush today? <laughs> so happy Father's Day. And wonderful to uh, be here at Trinity Sunday again. I was here last Trinity Sunday, so we'll see what I'm doing next Trinity. But it's a great honor to be here on your patronal day. Over many years of parish and retreat leadership, and even more years of uh, spiritual direction, uh, rarely did someone ask to know more about the Trinity. For many, it was almost a thing of a stumbling bop or even fear, saying something like, if I don't understand this and accept this, am I still a Christian? The, the doctrine of the Trinity uh, became official in 325 AD at the Council of Nicaea, and it has persisted because there is deep, deep truth into it, in it. I was introduced to the doctrine of the Trinity as a very little girl. My godmother, who I knew, knew as Aunt Dorothy, was a lifelong ardent Catholic, and she would regularly sign herself in the name of the Blessed Trinity. As a little girl, I didn't understand why she did it, touching her forehead and her shoulders and her heart. But I did perceive that when she was doing it, something very important was happening. Very important that these gestures meant something to her. And she always would leave her hand on her heart at the end for a moment. Not long before she died, Aunt Dorothy gave me her rosary, and they were garnet-colored beads with facets. And as I held it for the first time as my rosary beads, I remembered asking her so many decades ago, Aunt Dorothy, what are these marbles for? Why are they all the same color? Prayer, she said. Are you talking to God? I asked, do you have to say something different to God with every marble? She paused. Not really, she said. The marbles are talking to me. They are my reminder over and over again that God is talking to me. And she paused again. And God has figured out that the best way to get through to me is through my fingers. <laughs> I've never forgotten that. Human beings are sensory. We are bodily. We have the gift of being incarnate. As our tradition say, says, it's a gift not given even to angels. If the fullness of God, God's being, is by definition unfathomable, how can we speak of God at all? 
St. Francis famously said, preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. Generally speaking, when we do use words, images and metaphors, stories and pictures, and song usually work better than deductive reasoning. And often, the five senses, the gift God gave us, reveal God to us. We know God through life in this world. God comes to me through my fingers. Might have been a gardener, right? (laughs) At heart, the doctrine of the Trinity is simply an effort to both get a handle on the enormity of the divine and our relationship to the very one who, as we sung in Psalm 8, created the moon and the stars, all sheep and all oxen, all orcas, and whatever passes along the paths of the seas. Underneath the words, like trinity of being, or one substance with the Father, um, or signing our bodies, God in my head, God in my heart, God on my left side, God on my right, is our human desire to make sense of the world and our experience, both of the physical world that is seen and touched and heard and smelled, daffodils and door handles, a bag of peaches and a bag of laundry, as well as our desire, our intuitive desire to make sense of what cannot be seen or tasted or touched or heard, our intuitive knowing that there is being beyond, behind, beside, within, holding up all of that and being revealed to us in glimpses, the heart of all that is. One strand of our tradition that wasn't taught in Sunday school when I was growing up is the so-called wisdom tradition. Books in the Bible like Ecclesiastes and the Wisdom of Solomon and the Book of Job and the Book of Proverbs. They're also wisdom psalms. Today's reading from the Book of Proverbs is one of the loveliest and least known passages and we don't even read it every year, so feel free. I'm gonna be trying to play with this uh, to look at the text as I offer my reflections. In a handful of verses with poetry and deep wiseness, these verses address big questions like, how did the world come to be? Who made it? What can we know? Why are we here? And the passage introduces us to a figure named simply Wisdom in Hebrew Hebrew, Chokmah, and it is a feminine being. And so in this passage, uh, Hochmah points to three relationships that are critical to what is real and true in the world and to what we are called to. And it almost reads like another uh, creation story from Genesis. We've already got a couple of creation stories in Genesis, right? This one's almost like a third creation story. She has an intimate relationship with the creator. I was beside him from the beginning. Ages ago, I was set into being, uh, before the earth was made, uh, uh, perhaps before chaos was tamed and there was even the first light, she was. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. Why? 
to be, quote, a master worker. Uh, like a master builder, this wild image I had of this week, uh, particularly as I was thinking about the cathedral in France, uh, uh, that, that wisdom is almost like a, per a four person with a clipboard, right, and a hard hat, looking at this great cathedral being born, the great cathedral of all of creation. She was God's right hand, working hand in hand with the maker of all things at the beginning. Now if this, has a familiar ring to you, it's perhaps because a similar idea is found in a text which is much more familiar to Christians, John 1. In the beginning was the Word. You could probably say it along with me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, was with God, and the Word was God. Very, very similar. So does this mean that wisdom is another God? No, any more than the word was with God and was God was separate. Rather, wisdom was and is, perhaps, a dimension of the being of God. If you will, an embodying energy of God, that the power through which matter is come to birth. Perhaps God being birthed into all that is, is through wisdom. Maybe. Play with that. Scripture is to be played with. So this great world that we know, this earth, is a baffling and glorious place brought into being by wisdom. This existence, a daily wonder, from the great whales and the talons of the eagle and this lovely, pet, this lovely phrase in today's lesson, the world's first bits of soil the world's first bits of soil. The senses of touch and sight are such gifts that our ten fingers can delight in a strand of prayer beads 70 years old, or our fingers can delight in the peas in a pod we are cracking open for dinner. Our ears which delight in the sound of a running stream the taste the other day for me of my first fresh blueberry of the season. The smell of newly mowed grass and the first cry of a newborn as he sucks his first breath. In this strand of our tradition, wisdom is the power of the divine which makes flesh out of being and energy. And perhaps most fun of all, toward the end of this parrot passage, wisdom declares essentially, this is great fun. You should try it. This astonishing line, I was daily God's delight, rejoicing before God always, rejoicing in the inhabited world and delighting in the human race. So wisdom takes delight not only in the creation, but in the creating in the creating. Another dimension I played with this week is her relationship with all the creatures. In wisdom they were and are created. Some of you may have backgrounds in biology or physiology or geology. You guys will love this passage. Uh, the wisdom and perfection inherent in the created order the perfection of the cheetah running, the mysterious symmetry of the quartz crystal, 
the mysterious symmetry of the shell of a moon snail. The sheer, improbably perfect characteristics of the water molecule. All miracle, all of which have come together to make life on this blue spinning ball possible. And in this tradition, <clears throat> wisdom was there with God in the act of creation and in the continuing sustaining of creation. So the sheer coherence of embodied existence comes from wisdom. It all works because of her. And finally, wisdom has a practical and intimate connection to human beings who dwell in God's creation along with the cheetah and the salmon, the orca and the bison, and all the butterflies too. Here's where we come in. For this entire speech of wisdom reaches its climax here and in the passage just after as a summons, y'all here, to the human race. As human embodied beings, we are addressed directly. Quote, does not wisdom call to us? And we, we are called to learn prudence, verse five. Learn prudence, pay attention, pay attention. In some sense, we're invited as our great opening hymn to bind unto ourselves today this wisdom and to hold fast to it. The alternative, which is spelled out in verses 32 to 36, is a common theme in all of wisdom liturgy. And it is this, if as human beings we do not heed wisdom, if we do not align with wisdom, if we do not connect and join with that energy in the universe, we will injure ourselves, we will be injurious to others, and we will destroy creation. Without wisdom, we will, in a set, we will become angel agents of death and destruction. This is foolishness. Foolishness is living against the grain and the power of wisdom in the world. Instead, we are invited to join ourselves, to bind unto ourselves this day, this wisdom, by the grace of God. I need, I need, I think all of us need to feel connected to a power greater than ourselves. We need to feel connected to some force of goodness and healing in this world. We need to feel aligned. The world seems at times such an intractable mess. There are times when our own lives seem without purpose or meaning. There are times when it feels as if chaos is at play. We all need reminding that even among, amidst the massiveness of human folly, that wisdom came first and that wisdom will have the last word as well. Foolishness came after. Foolishness misleads and twists and strangles. But there is in this world a wisdom larger 
than even our dark imprint. A wisdom and a love that is our deepest self. A wisdom and a love that is on our left side, on our right side, within us, for us. And in every generation, she calls us to work, calls us with urgency. I love that line from the hymn, awake and wake, awake, awake to love and work, the lark is in the sky. That's what wisdom is saying, awake, awake to love and work. And it is good to do our work with others. And like wisdom, it's way more fun. And so I witnessed bingo night last night. $5,000, I understand, was raised for wheel. $5,000, do I have that right? Somebody told me that. I'm not making that up. $5,000 raised in a night playing bingo. I witnessed the work of that. I witnessed the work I've been reading about Trinity, just delivering sack lunches for Northwest Harvest, pitching into ministry for seafarers. And I love this. Look at what I read about that you did last year. I read that this parish contributed to over 2,000 meals, which included packing 3,000 pounds of peas. 3,000 pounds of peas. Sounds like a story Jesus would tell, doesn't it? 3,000 pounds of peas. Or 3,000 pounds of peas, someone could write a song about 3,000 peas. 3,000 pounds of peas. To pack peas or to bake banana bread, to cook for a stranger, to tell a story to a sailor, to hear a sailor tell a story to you, to put our fingers into the earth, to hold hands with a woman in prison. These works require not a lot of special training. They certainly require no lucid theology. All they require is someone willing to pry open a Ziploc bag, someone who's willing to reach up for something, can of peaches, (laughs) to reach, to chop, to stir, or to hoist 3,000 pounds of peas. Not all at once. One pea at a time, or maybe a dozen. And what's great is these tasks are so simple, and yet they yield disproportionate jolts of joy. And I think that's in part because we are putting ourselves in sync with the divine. It is a joy to do these things together for the love and life of the world because we are aligning ourselves in that river. These are actions that change lives. These are actions that change the world. Sometimes at once and sometimes more slowly. The way dripping water changes stone. The way the lips of pilgrims wear down the stone with the power of a thousand years of kisses. The way the prayer beads on my godmother's rosary are so worn after 60 years of her fingers touching them. Fingering the old garnet orbs, I can feel her with me still. 
and I can feel the one who loved her dearly and who loves me. I offer these thoughts on Trinity Sunday in the name of Jesus. Amen.